the 15th of March, 2007, episode 69. The Rookie Designer, with your host, Adam Hay. Let's take a look at the starting lineup. One facet of design that most of us must deal with is that of typefaces and fonts. While this affects most designers on a daily basis, it is those of us who set type for printed pieces that must carefully choose and package our type for successful output at the printer. As many of us know, there are differences between font files and these distinctions must be taken into account. Today we'll talk about these differences and what it may or may not mean for the pieces you are creating. For announcements today, the first of which kind of came to me as a surprise, uh, we've actually had the one-year anniversary of Quick Tips, and I just noticed that. Um, it started in the early stages of March last year, started making uh, the tutorials for everyone, and if anyone's new to this show, or maybe has not checked out Quick Tips for Designers yet, it is a tutorial show, video tutorials, in all kinds of different graphic design applications, so check it out if you want to uh, learn more about those things. But we have celebrated our one year, and I thought that was kind of exciting, I thought I'd point it out. Uh, if you are subscribed to get emails from Adobe, you probably got this one. I got one saying, talking about the two different kinds of Photoshop. Actually, let me pull that up so I can check it out again. Basically, there's two levels. It's almost kind of like a flash and a flash professional type of thing. But there is a very much bigger difference. Uh, the The Photoshop that is kind of special, the new edition, is called Photoshop CS3 Extended. And what this one does, it gives you some more functionality, and it's it's in and it says Photoshop Extended is ideal for multimedia, creative professionals, film and video, uh, graphic and web designers who are pushing the limits of design with 3D and motion. You can do with 3D stuff in here. Uh, manufacturing professionals, medical professionals, architecture, engineering, construction, and scientific research. I found some more info. Oh, here we go. Render and incorporate 3D images into your 2D composites. Stop time with easy editing of motion graphics on video layers. Enrich your images with accurate measurement, analysis, and visualization tools. So a lot more going on in that one. You can actually manipulate video. You can, you can deal with 3D objects in there as well. So that might appeal to some of you guys. Uh, might appeal to everyone, but if you don't need it, you're probably not going to want to get it because I'm assuming it's going to cost more. But uh, just some exciting news there. A new new member of the Photoshop family. All right, the next thing I have here is something that I saw on the news, on my network news, local news. And uh, although it may seem like it, it is geared more towards the professionals working with video, it's actually affecting everybody in the U.S. They finally set a date for all U.S. TVs to go digital, meaning you'll either have to have a digital TV in your house or you'll have to get some kind of digital converter for your TV. And they actually said they're going to give $40 vouchers to, to anyone in the U.S. to for them to be able to get those digital converter boxes. But this is something that has been in the works for a long, long time. It keeps getting put off because obviously it's it's a major upgrade for a lot of people out there that don't have the money or don't you know just don't even care about having digital TV. But uh, everything is going to go digital by Febu February 17th, 2009. So uh says an estimated 20 million households will now have to uh, 
now have to rely on the, the, the new technology. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, other than that, just uh, our same announcements. Please tell a friend about this podcast, uh, anyone that you think might be interested in it, anyone that you think might benefit from them, let them know that it's here. If they don't know how to uh, subscribe to a podcast, show them that as well. It's obviously not very hard. And also our email program is still going on. This is the third week that we're going to use the same email. And that email is info at printmag.com. That's info at printmag.com. And that goes to the editor at Print Magazine. And I just ask that you write a nice little letter about this podcast, uh, telling them what a great reference it is and why you listen to it. And, you know, maybe encouraging them to write a little piece about it or something in the uh, some kind of letter to the editor or something like that, something to that extent. So we can get some uh, publicity, hopefully. And I'd appreciate it if you can do that for me. So this week, it's kind of uh, lecture time again. We had one of these before where we talked about color, and it's uh, it's a lot of research, and it's a lot of, uh, you know, maybe something that you might hear in school. But every once in a while, I think it, it really helps us to do something like this. And this was really brought on by a topic that I found on the forum where somebody was asking about using... Um, using a certain type of uh, typeface to go to the printer. And I'm not trying to single anyone out here because actually I learned something from this. There was, there was things that I didn't know. Uh, I was under perceptions that may not have been completely true. So, uh, and there's common misconceptions out there about type and, and we're going to find that out today. So I'm just trying to clear up some of these things by we're going to explore the past, the present, maybe even a little bit of the future of type and see what, what's really going on. And uh, if you haven't figured it out by what I'm talking about already, this is a huge debate, but people wanting to send true type fonts to a professional printer, to the printers. And it's it's been thought for, for many, many years, as, as long as I've been doing this, that that's not acceptable. That's not an acceptable format. And we're going to talk about uh, why that may or may not be true. And uh, let's start out with the definitions. Uh, typeface and font are two words that are usually used interchangeably, but that's not exactly correct to do that. It's not exactly the same thing. So I went and I found uh, there's actually a lot of different definitions that people give for these two terms. So I'm going to look at a few of these. For typeface, the first one I have is the raised surface carrying the image of a type character cast in metal also used to refer to a complete set of characters forming a fa family in a particular design or style. So that one kind of takes the, uh, the old school approach at first and then kind of updates it for what we use now on the computer. Uh, the second one is much shorter. It's just a design for a set of characters. The third one is the design or style characteristics of a complete font of type. And that one uh, piques a little bit of interest and starts to tell you a little bit of, uh, more about what a font is. And the last one I have here is a full set of letter forms designed to work together. So these are all true in one way or another. The, the basic thing that you're, you should be getting from this is when we're talking about a typeface, it's actually talking about the design and how the characters look. And it's usually a complete set or a family of type, typefaces. Um, I guess typeface would be the whole family, actually. Where we get into fonts, font gets a little more specific, and a font can be uh, 
engulfed by a typeface. So the definitions I have for font are a specific size and style of type within a type family. So meaning the typeface would be the type family, and this is the specific size and style is what the font is, and that's within the typeface. The second one is a set of characters in a specific typeface and at a specific point size and in a specific style. So I think that one really captures what we're looking at here. It's uh, it's just a particular set of characters that are in that typeface that are a certain size and a certain style. And by style, you mean like bold or italic, something like that. The next one I have is a description of how to display a set of characters. The description includes the shape of the characters, spacing between characters, effects, for example, bold italics and underline, and the size of the characters. So basically what we're talking about is, is defining what that typeface is exactly going to look like by the size and the characteristics of it. And then the last one I have is a complete set of characters in a typeface. So that should shed a little bit more light on that. I found another kind of wasn't exactly a definition, but just an explanation of what this, what these two terms mean and a good example of when you would be using two different meanings for them. And it was talking about when you're working with a printer or a service bureau, the difference between the two terms really become more relevant. Uh, you can't simply make Times Roman bold by selecting bold in the style menu of your graphics or publishing application. And we're going to touch on this a little bit later. But there's definitely a different distinction between pressing that button that says bold, like you would see in Microsoft Word, and actually having the, the actual font of Times Roman bold. To properly output your file to a high-resolution device such as an image setter, you need to provide your vendor with a Times Roman bold printer font. And this is what I was just talking about. There's an actual font that is bold and is Times Roman. And in some cases, when you get professional fonts, they'll actually be a certain size as well. I don't think they do that as much anymore because uh, there's lots of scalable fonts out there. But anyways, it is in this area of, print of the printing industry where the term typeface and font do mean two different things. And it's just shown you even further that Times Roman doesn't necessarily give you a font. You actually have to put in that bold, maybe even the size of it for it to be a font. Times Roman itself is just the typeface. It describes what the actual typeface looks like. And I think we can all get a good idea. We've all seen Times Roman. That gives us a pretty good idea when we say the typeface is Times Roman. We're going to know pretty much what that looks like. But when we start talking about fonts, that means that it's bold or that it's italic or that it's a certain size. So hopefully that will clear that up. I think where it really started to mix in and people started to mix up those words is when you got on the computer people usually refer to fonts as, you know, a set of type that's on your computer, whether it, whether they're just talking about a typeface or not. So hopefully that will clear that up. The next thing I wanted to talk about was different applications. And the particular question on the forum that I was referring to was talking about the use of true type fonts and what, what situations are they correctly used in. Now, the first thing I can say to this is if you're working in some kind of web or multimedia, or video, or any other kind of screen-based outputs, you're generally safe with any kind of font that's on your machine, your system fonts, true types, postscripts, anything that you can find, because there just isn't that restriction. 
now, if you're working on a website, there are other things to deal with because there are certain types of fonts that you know everybody has, so you can use those. If you're using something crazy, you have to embed it somehow in a graphic or whatnot, but that's a discussion for another time. But if it's something that's going to show up on the screen and you have a way to save it in your file somehow so that it does show up on the other person's computer or on their screen or on their TV or wherever it's going to be, then that's generally not going to be a problem for you. When it becomes a problem is when we have to print out the materials. As we'll get into a little bit later, true type fonts may not, and I say may not, have the necessary components to translate into a truly printable type. And by definition, the way they're made, they're not actually made to be in a printable type. But as we'll talk about a little bit later, they can be converted into a way that you can use them. Now, this is not to say that they will never work. And again, this is talking about the myth. And I, I went on, I, I did a little bit of research and I actually found a discussion on the Adobe forums and somebody from Adobe was saying that is a myth. It's an urban legend that you cannot use true type fonts for printing. This was the first time I've ever heard somebody say that. When I was in school, I was always taught, do not ever send true type fonts with your, with your project. Don't use true type fonts in your project and send them to the printer and expect it to work. This is just what I was always told. I never questioned it. So this is what I thought. And this is what a lot of people think. I don't know exactly where it started, but it, it's a misconception that's out there. Now, it's not as easy as just using true type fonts and sending them to the printer and just it's going to work. There are occasions when it might not work. There's definitely occasions when a printer will probably say, I can't use true type fonts because maybe they're, they're under that same misconception. So you have to be careful about that. Uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself, so I'm just going to stop right there. But uh, a lot of the things that he was talking about that may have contributed to this myth is there's a lot of badly designed true type faces out there. And, you know, when you when something's not designed well, it might look okay on the screen, but when you print it out, maybe it looks bad. And maybe that's where that came from, where people just said, well, this doesn't look good. We should stop using this type. Um, again, it wasn't designed specifically for being printed. It was designed for being shown on the screen. So that probably played into it a little bit. And what this guy said in the forum is you, you definitely can print with a true type font, but it still might be a crapshoot as to whether your typeface will print out perfectly at the offset printer or whatever, uh, uh, an image setter printer. So you have to be careful with that. There are a couple workarounds that you may or may not know. First of all, and I've done this before, uh, I've had typefaces that I had in TrueType and didn't have in PostScript, and maybe this is kind of cheating, but you know, if I get a system font, it's mine, right? So you take it into Illustrator or InDesign and you just convert it to outlines. Then it's just a vector object and it will print out perfectly. The problem with that is, of course, when you convert it to outlines, you can't edit it anymore. So you're always going to have to have two copies of that thing, whatever it is, be it you know, one line or several paragraphs, you're going to have to have two copies of that file, one that's not converted to outlines so that you can still edit it. And then, of course, the other one converted to outlines, which will be the final one that you would send to print. The other way is to use a PDF workflow, which a lot of people are moving to these days. You use the, uh, the high-res PDF. And with that, you're actually embedding the fonts inside the PDF. 
Now, that same guy from the forum said that the printer can actually go in and see inside the PDF whether it was a true type font or not. Um, I don't know why they would do that unless they're extremely picky about not wanting true type fonts being used, but uh, that's usually a, a good way to go as well. So I thought to get a, a good bearing on what's going on with with types, well, with types of type, uh, we would go through a, a brief history of where it came from. And not exactly all the way back to metal type or anything like that, but uh, when they started developing the the modern types that we use these days too. Postscript. Postscript is generally the type of typeface that you will use to print, to send to the printer. It's the one that's acceptable, that everybody accepts is the, the true format. It's just the most widely used, basically. Postscript was launched in 1984 by Adobe. They had two different types of, of Postscript type. One of them is Type 1, and the other is Type 3. Type 1 was the more sophisticated type, and uh, the thing that separated that one from the other is it had very good hinting. And hinting improves the output quality on lower resolution devices or at smaller font sizes. So basically this was helping you see it on your computer screen before it was printed out. It was actually developed so that it would print out very nicely, wasn't developed for looking nice on your screen, and we're going to find out that's where other, other, I don't want to keep saying types of type, other variations of type came into play. Now Adobe kept this uh, type 1, the postscript type 1 to themselves, and uh, others usually published type 3, but they were all kind of angry that uh, Type 1 wasn't available to them because it was the, the much better version of that. So uh, Type 1 actually exploded into popularity. Everybody wanted to use it because it looked so nice. And, of course, that didn't help out all those other people that were trying to uh, sell fonts that were Type 3. Adobe then developed a type of PostScript that could be visualized on screen on a personal computer. Now we kind of take this for granted, but this this was where this tech, technology first started. And they named this one Display Postscript. And they took Display Postscript to Apple and Microsoft and they tried to sell it to them. They were going to have to pay some kind of fees, of course, to use it. But neither of them wanted to pay the price. And neither of them wanted to rely on another entity for a large piece of their operating system. Obviously, there's lots of different typefaces that make up the operating system, whether you're on Mac or PC, and that would tie largely into it. And if they didn't control it themselves, they would be relying on whatever Adobe did for their for all the type that was on their, their computer, which of course is a big deal. So neither of them wanted to do that, and that kind of formed the the alliance between Apple and Microsoft, and they they combined their efforts to develop their own system called TrueType. This is where TrueType first started. They each had their own job. Apple designed the vector font technology, and Microsoft was supposed to supply the printer engine. This print engine that they offered was a system called TrueImage, but it was kind of unstable. It was kind of buggy, and both companies decided that they could actually do without it. The applications that they had at that time didn't really need it, so they just stuck with having a very nice-looking on-screen type system. And that was true type. Adobe then responded to the fact that these guys came up with this new true type font. And again, the, the, the deal with the true type was it looked very good on screen. And as we said before, Adobe only had the postscript type one and type three. Those were built for looking good when printed, not necessarily looking good when on screen. 
So that's when Adobe came out with the Adobe Type Manager, which I'm sure a lot of us used in the past. Uh, maybe you still, but probably not too many people. Uh, and what this did was it improved the on-screen appearance of Type 1 fonts. So that was kind of their answer to that. Well, we can make our fonts look good on, on screen as well. They also at that time published the specs on the Type 1 font format and basically let everybody else have that technology at that time too. But there was actually some companies that had already reverse engineered it and figured out how to make it anyways. So it was kind of a moot point at that, at that time. The next thing Apple worked on, uh, Windows was just trying to make everything look a little bit better. Apple was trying to come up with something new, and that was Apple GX fonts. And these were ones that could uh, be manipulated a little bit more than your standard font. Uh, that pretty much bombed. It didn't go anywhere. It didn't, didn't really get picked up by anyone. Um, but Adobe came out with one similar called Multiple Master Fonts. And again, these could be manipulated by the user. Didn't really catch on too much, but some of the technology was transferred to Adobe uh, uh, Type Manager in Acrobat. So some of that technology was definitely useful. In 1996, Adobe and Microsoft joined forces to build a font that would combine the best of both worlds, the PostScript and the TrueType, meaning it would have the, the excellent-looking printed-out type as well as the excellent-looking type on your screen. And this is called OpenType, and probably a lot of people are familiar with this one now. It has become very, very popular. As I said, it contains both kinds of data to be able to look good in both areas. It appeared on the market in 2000, and the greatest thing about this thing is it's cross-platform. Before, if we worked on both platforms, which I did a bit in the past, you would have to buy, actually buy a set of fonts for each one because they were specific to the platform that you were working on. Now with these, they most for the most part are cross-platform, cross so you buy one font, you can put it on both your PC and your Mac, and everything's great. And also it's two files in one. And we'll talk about a little bit about this later on. Some of the font files were actually broken down into two or more pieces. This one generally is one, one file for you and uh, less mess that way. The keys to the game. Our key command for today is in Photoshop. And what we're gonna do with this key command is lock our guides. So when you drag guides out in Photoshop, usually you can just pick it up and move it around or take it back off the screen if you want. Something a little different because uh, if you've ever used Illustrator, you notice you pull the guides out and they actually lock in place. You can't, you can't get rid of them. You can't move them around unless you go up and you unlock them. Well, it kind of goes the opposite way in Photoshop. And I kind of like sometimes you want those guides, you want them to stay there and you don't want them to act. You don't want to accidentally grab one and move it when you have it in a precise location. So if you use this key command, it will lock them down and keep them there until you use the key command to take it off. On the Mac, you're going to be pressing command, option, and the semicolon. And on the PC, that's control, alt, and the semicolon. So now let's drill down a little bit more into the different types of fonts that are out there. We kind of described when they came in history, which uh, if you notice, the history isn't too old, or maybe I'm just getting a little old. Anyways, the first one is the PostScript, the Type 1. Type 1 is still the most common one out there. Uh, on Macs, PostScript fonts consist of a file containing the outline fonts, which are the ones for the printer, 
and one containing a bitmap representation of the font in at least one point size. And the bit, bitmap file is called the screen font. It also contains the metrics data. So basically, this is what I was talking about before. Uh, you would get what they call the suitcase, which was like basically a little folder. If you open up the suitcase, you would see two different font files in there. They're both the same font, but one of them was for the printer and one of them was for your screen. And usually you would sit, you would take that whole thing and send it all to the printer so that they could in turn look at it on their screen and then print it out. Uh, on the Windows operating system, two files are used as well. One uses the file name extension PFB and uh, it contains the outlines. The other one is uses the extension PFM and contains the metrics data. And again, that would be the uh, screen font. So this was the old way of doing it. As I just said, open type faces, they don't have the two files anymore. Everything's combined all into one, uh, plus, plus even more, as we'll find out in a little bit. Uh, there was also type three, which we said was common in the 80s. Not so much anymore. Uh, that It was really the inferior typeface compared to type one. So uh, I think it just kind of went away over time. Multiple, multiple master was the one that was uh, able to be manipulated. Uh, it was used to, mainly to emulate other fonts in Adobe Type Manager and Acrobat, and that's where it was mainly used. Uh, there's also Type 0, Type 2, 4, 5, 32, 42. You're not going to find these pretty much anywhere, not for the things that we do anyways, so I don't think it's really important to know the characteristics of those. True Type. True type fonts are outline fonts, which means they can deliver output at any resolution or size. They're scalable. And support for the true type is included in all major operating systems. As we said, it was actually created by Apple and Microsoft to be the, the main font of their operating system. So obviously, we're not going to have too many problems there. They are cross-platform fonts, but in reality, there are differences in the way TrueType fonts are handled on Macs versus Windows systems. So you can run into troubles of how they actually render out uh, if you move one to the other system. So generally, you're going to keep those uh, on one platform at a time or one platform specifically. In TrueType fonts, the character shapes are defined using quadratic B-splines curves. These curves are a variation on the cubic Bezier curves that are used in PostScript. And that means that characters can be defined using less points than needed in PostScript fonts. And an example of that is a circle takes 12 points in PostScript versus 8 in TrueType. And the best way to think of this is if you're drawing out a circle in Illustrator, how many points are you using to make that? Now in Illustrator we use Bezier curves to make our different objects. And that's the best way for that I would visualize it is if we made a circle with 12 points, that would be like a postscript circle or a zero. Maybe, well, not a zero because that wouldn't be a circle. It would be an oval. But versus eight, if we put down eight points and made the same exact shape, that would be the true type rendition of that. They're not exactly the same kind of curves making them up. They're very similar, though. Uh, any quadratic spline, which is the ones that are used in TrueType, can be converted to a cubic spline with essentially no loss. However, a cubic spline can be converted to a quadratic spline with arbitrary precision. There's going to be some loss of accuracy in most cases. So this means it's very easy to convert TrueType outlines to PostScript outlines. 
but it's harder to convert PostScript to TrueType. So this is where we get into that debate again. Can we use TrueType fonts for printing? And this pretty much says to me that yes, you can, because you can always convert TrueType outlines to PostScript outlines. And it's kind of the same thing as just taking your type and converting it to outlines. You're converting it to a PostScript object. So if that makes any sense, that's that's the main argument on why you should be able to use any kind of TrueType font for a printing job. Uh, TrueType fonts carry the file name extension .ttf. And most of you have probably seen this before, but if you look at the icon, it usually has two T's on it, uh, two blue T's on it. And that's how you can you can tell the difference. Now we come to OpenType. And there's lots of very good things about OpenType. Um, it is relatively new still, but it's gaining much popularity. OpenType supports Unicode, fonts that contain large characters, sets up to 65,000 plus characters, including all Western characters and accents, as well as non-Western uh, Japanese or Chinese characters, all that kind of stuff. So that's a very, very big plus, big bonus for that. OpenType fonts can be compressed efficiently. Smaller font file sizes make it easier to embed fonts in files. This is useful for both PDF files and internet pages. We can have better typography. Open type fonts can contain a wide range of glyphs, including ligatures, fractions, old style numbers, tilting caps, historical characters, and swash characters. It is possible to automatically substitute characters by them. And this is probably one of the very coolest things about open type. And it's going to really, it really will improve your, your typography because you can use all these different characters that are, that are built into the font. Uh, ligatures would be something like an FL or uh, what are the other ones? LL, I think, where it kind of almost melds them together. This is something you probably won't be using a whole lot, but the fractions are very cool. Old style numbers, I definitely love. And those are numbers that actually have ascenders and descenders, meaning they're not all they're not all in line with each other. If you have a nine, then the bottom of the nine will actually hang down below the baseline. Uh, some of them actually pop up above. So that's pretty cool. Tilting caps, uh, historical characters and swash characters are very cool. And this is something that we should actually probably do in quick tips. Uh, I believe it's an InDesign where you can actually go in and say you have like a capital G at the beginning of the sentence or something like that. You can actually go into the special characters in an open type font and find different variations of that capital G. There might be, maybe there's just three, maybe there's like five or six different ones. So you can have some variation if you're using that capital G in a lot of different sentences. Maybe you want to make it look a little bit different. So that's also very, very cool. Open type fonts can contain multiple optical sizes within a font family. So that type and various point size ranges can be based on separate sets of character outlines for finer display type and sturdier characters in small sizes. This is just, again, improving the overall look of the font. Improved kerning. Letters with similar shapes, the left sides of C, E, and D, for example, or a single letter with a number of different accents. Uh, here it just shows A's with different accents over it. Can be kerned identically. This reduces the size of kerning tables and extends the number of letter pairs that are kerned. So again, we're just, we're really improving the way our type looks. Things that you may not notice all the time, 
but things that can help you out because, because you don't notice them all the time. I know we don't always go into paragraphs of type and mess with the kerning because it's just, it's something that's too time consuming. So if the font can actually help us out by doing a little bit of kerning by itself, then that's obviously advantageous to us. A couple of other things I already mentioned, it's cross-platform, which definitely helps us uh, save the money. Uh, it's one file. Instead of being that screen file and the printer file, it's all in one. And plus we get all those ligatures and everything else. Those are all contained all within the one file. And one warning, there are actually open type fonts out there that are only screen fonts. It's just the way they're made. I'm not sure why. Uh, so always be weary of that. You want to make sure you know what you're buying. Generally, I'd say if you're buying from something like the Adobe uh, font library or type library, they're, they're pretty much going to be the ones that you can use to print. They're not going to be just screen fonts. Uh, generally, Adobe does not make just screen fonts. I think once they actually made uh, a package of true type fonts, I think that I got this from that same forum entry, uh, they made a package of true type fonts that were made specifically for the web. Other than that, I don't think they've really dabbled in screen fonts all that much. So, in conclusion, as I said, I learned something here. I was always told that true type fonts are strictly not for printing. You can use them on your web pages, you can use them for something that's going to be on the screen, but don't use them for printing. What I learned is they can be used for printing. Now, we can't just make this blanket, blanket statement that all true type fonts are okay to send to the printer because I still don't believe that's true. You really have to know what's going on with your font to be able to, to make that statement that it's okay to be printed. Because let's, let's just take, for instance, the guy was saying, you don't know, there was a lot of really bad designed true type fonts. And generally, when you go on to something like freefonts.com or whatever those things are, where people make up their own fonts, generally they are in true type format. And you have to trust, you know, these people that they put something together well, because it, it could look different on your screen and most likely will look different on your screen than it's going to look when it's printed out. So if you're going to print with something, you're printing 10,000 brochures and you're using this typeface, you better know already that it's going to look okay when it comes out printed because I don't think they're going to give you another chance or a discount just because your font didn't look right. So you have to be very careful. But as we learned, you can actually convert TrueType to PostScript. So it is possible uh, if you find a, a specific typeface that is TrueType and you just love it, you think it's the best thing for your piece and you don't want to find an equivalent PostScript type, then I would say maybe that's a point at which you try and get the printer to uh, convert it or maybe convert it yourself to outlines. But the bottom line is you need to know, you need to know about your typeface. You can't just say, oh yeah, every type, every true, true type typeface out there is okay to print. It's not a good way to look at it. A good way to be sure that everything's going to come out right, in my opinion anyways, would be to use a PostScript type one font or an open type PostScript font from a reliable source such as Adobe. I usually buy mine from Adobe. There's also the Linotype library that's offered by Cork. Um, there are lots of great font foundries out there as well. We actually had a guy on here not too long ago by the name of Ken Barber. He works for a place called House Industries, which is a company that makes some very, very nice looking typefaces. 
So there are good ones out there, of course. You just really have to be careful when you're going on those sites that give you free fonts or give you like 20 fonts for $9.95. Those are the ones you got to be leery of because most likely they're pretty bad quality. If you go to House Industries, the fonts are not cheap at all, but that's how you know you're getting a quality product because when you go on the Adobe website, uh, it's it's a pretty penny to, to buy those fonts as well. So uh, just always be careful. Be leery of the ones that are cheaper. Uh, for a good font, you will you usually will have to pay a good 20, 30 bucks. So just expect that. Now that's what I call a rookie mistake. Our mistake tip for today is not to use the style buttons when laying out type in a piece to be printed. And generally, you shouldn't. You really shouldn't use them at any time. You should use the actual font. We talked about this in the beginning. Um, in Word, you're going to find it a lot. Older versions of Quark, uh, at least on the PC, I believe they did this. Was it the PC or the Mac? Maybe it was the Mac. Maybe it was both. I think I was using Quark 4 or something like that. And they actually didn't show you all the fonts. They showed you the typeface. So again, we know that that means it would show us Times, Times New Roman. And you go through the font, the uh, typeface list, and it would just give you the names of them. It wouldn't give you Times New Roman bold, Times New Roman italic. It would only say Times New Roman. So that's all you could do. And then to make something bold, you would have to select it and use the bold button. I was always confused because this is what I grew up learning on. This is what I went through school learning on. So um, I'm not sure that I ever got that lecture. I think I did maybe at a later point not to use those buttons, those style buttons because it can cause problems when it gets to the printer. Um, perhaps the way that we get out, got around it, I can't even remember, is to actually use that button, but also make sure that we include the Times New Roman bold file. That was probably what we did. But anyways, you don't ever want to use just those buttons. You're going to notice in a lot of the newer apps, if you use InDesign, some of the newer versions at least, that when you go through the list of typefaces, it gives you every single font. It doesn't just say Times New Roman. It says Times New Roman, and it'll either give you the, the select list, you'll have the typeface on the top, and then the selection, the drop-down box below that will give you the different selections of regular, bold, uh, italic, semi-bold, all those things. Either that, or you'll go through the, the typeface list, and it'll just list out every single one, or maybe there's going to be like a little flyout menu when you hover over the typeface. It'll give you all those. One of those things is going to be what you're seeing in most applications these days. I think people finally just got hip to it and they said, people are messing this stuff up too much. Let's, let's not give them the ability to mess it up. Although you will, in a lot of applications, still see those buttons for bold and italic. The main thing to remember here is if you have questions about, about anything really, but if you have questions about which fonts you can use, uh, how the font's going to turn out. Of course, we said you can't necessarily bring a true type font and say, do you know if this one's going to look good? I mean, that's probably not the best question to ask them. But if you have questions about which fonts you can use, because as we said, some printers probably still say that they can't take true type fonts. Just ask the printer. It's the best thing you can do in any situation when you're going to print with something and you don't know exactly what you're doing. Just ask them and they will give you some sort of answer, hopefully. If they can't give you an answer, maybe you should find a new printer. But generally, they'll be able to give you some guidance there as to what you should do. Things are getting a bit out of hand. Looks like it's time to go to the bullpen. 
In the bullpen for today, uh, we're going back to websites. And this was something that was actually sent to me from another podcast that I listened to. I think I recommended it before. If you're into digital video at all, there's one called The DV Show. And uh, check that out. It's a very good podcast. But they actually sent out a, uh, a pretty interesting email to me about a website called Our Stage. And right now it says Our Stage Sneak Preview. I went j- just to the rstage.com website. And you can kind of sign up for it, but it says that it's not actually open yet. When you go through this uh, particular URL that I'm going to give you, it's going through something that the DV show set up. So you can actually register and I haven't done it yet, so I didn't exactly check it out. But what it is, it's a place where you can put up your music, your videos, your photos, anything like that. And basically let all the other people that are in that community make comments about it or, or vote on which one is their favorite, I guess. And it looks like they're going to have little competitions and stuff like that. So uh, we were talking about different competitions uh, in a previous episode and how it is good to participate and stuff like that. So this might be something that you want to do. So if you are out there making different music or videos or definitely taking photos, as I've seen some of you are, then this might be a great place to put it up and get some feedback on those things. So the particular URL for this one is rstage.com slash go slash DV show. And that's DV as in digital video. Again, that's rstage.com slash go slash DV show. Of course, you can always find this link in all the other links that I talk about in the show on our website, which is at rookiedesigner.com slash rookie. All right, few reminders before we get out of here. We are always trying to drum up new listeners for this show, and that's why we have the Tell a Friend program. And actually, it's Tell Anyone program. So if you know anybody that can uh, benefit from listening to the show, please point them in this direction and let them listen to the show themselves. We have the email program. Our email address still is info at printmag.com. And that, again, goes to Print Magazine, goes to the editor there, and just... uh, Write them a little letter and say some nice stuff about this show and maybe they'll write something about us. But just trying to uh, get some more interest in the show. And if you want to contact me, you can email me at adam at rookiedesigner.com. You can send me a message through myspace.com slash rookiedesigner. You can Skype me at username titanstrides or use the call-in line 619-573-4043. And both that and the Skype will go to a voicemail, and you can leave me a, a voice message that way. Or you can go to the forum, and if you're not registered for that yet, I recommend that you do so. And you can uh, talk with me and hundreds and hundreds of other designers around the world. It's a great thing to do and a great way to, to learn about your profession in a nice crowd of people. We haven't had any people that have been getting down on anybody or anything. It's been a very nice group. So if you're worried about that, you needn't worry anymore because we've got a great group of designers up there. I want to thank everybody for listening and thank you always for the emails and spreading the word about Rookie Designer and all the messages that I get through all the different ways that I just told you and and just for listening. You guys make the show what it is and I definitely appreciate it. Uh, If you're new listeners, hopefully you'll stick around and, and definitely thank you to those who have been here for the long haul. And just remember, everyone's a rookie before they're an all-star. That one's high. It's got the distance. It's high.